Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gut, 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 gut. Hey guys, what's going on? Kevin Goatee here. We are insanely excited to tell you guys the live show is back that's right live show March 26th get your tickets now go on eventbrite.com search for gutting the sacred cow we are doing office space as per the choice of Joanne Nosuczynski and Bill Schultz so gutting the sacred cow on eventbrite buy your tickets now March 26th 8pm don't wait last one sold out and of course, guttingthesacredcow.com. You got a sweet ass shirt like I have right here. Guttingthesacredcow.com for the blogs and the merch store. Let's just jump right into it. Here's Mike White taking down a film that all dudes in the 90s love, and that is Boondock Saints. Gather around, here's what I know. It's just that this cow has got to go. I'll buy that for a dollar. Kevin Israel, name that film. I mean, I've I say that all the time. I didn't. Know, I don't think I even knew that came from a movie. Really? Wow. I'm really. Can I, can I go you, in for the sleep? Wait, 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 wait. Let, let him. Let him. I'll give him a three Mississippi. I'm floored. Okay. You don't know this. I'm floored. This is not off the tip of your tongue. No, I don't got it. Mike White is our guest today. Mike, welcome to the Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast. How goes it, sir? It goes very well, Mr. Robocop. <laughs> That's a film, 1987's blockbuster extravaganza, Robocop. Kevin, it's a scene where the guy's on the TV where they keep catching the different scenes. He's got the girls in the bikini. He's going, I'll buy that for a dollar. Huh. Nope. I thought that was ubiquitous. No. Nope. And QR fans going, Kevin Israel doesn't know a fucking thing about movie quotes yet again. <laughs> That's the fans. <laughs> don't yell. Don't laugh at me that you got it wrong. The fans will remind you. Kevin Goatee, Kevin Israel back. Here we are. Mike White joining us for a film that I got to say is probably one of the most beloved films of our college era. Kevin Israel, that film being 1999's Boondock Saints. A budget at the time of six million bucks, a box office haul of thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> I knew that would get a chuckle out of you. Thirty thousand dollars, a twenty twenty one budget of ten point two million, a box office haul of fifty one thousand seven hundred and twelve dollars. <laughs> and yet they made a sequel. <laughs> yeah, well, the story. I mean, I can get into it now, but oh yeah, that's in my five fun facts. That's by far the worst box oh, office haul. <laughs> and we don't even do porn on this, on this podcast. <laughs> IMDB, as all we all know, is a scale one through 10 with decimal points. Hey, Mike, what, take a guess. What do you think the Boondock Saints scored on the old IMDB? 
Oh, gosh. Knowing the fans for this movie, I'd say a nine. Bold. Kevin Israel. I have absolutely no feeling for what this would have, so I'm going to go like a 7-2. 7-7. Seven, seven. Seven. All right. Ooh. All right. I'll take it. Rotten Tomatoes, one through 100 percentage score. Kevin Israel, the critic score from Boondock Saints, if you'd be so kind. 61. Mike. 29%. One of you has two showcases. And I think Mike White's cheating because it's 28%. As Holy cow. <laughs> I would have wow. I would have never wow. I did Is that the lowest critic score we've ever had? I, gotta, I think it might be. It's, it's easily top three. I got to go see all the films that we've done. And it, it, I me, think that's got to be the lowest. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would, you know, I would, hey, all of our listeners, I don't have time for this shit. Why don't you go back and do a deep dive and pull all those numbers out for us? <laughs> back to you, Mike. What do you think the audience gave Boondock Saints on the old one oh, through 100? Again, this has got really ardent fans. I'd say at least an 80 percent. 90. Kevin Israel. Wow. I'm not, I can't, I don't think I can't go as high as an, an 80. I'm going to go. You went 90. 69. 69. Again, I think Mike's cheating. 91. Really? Wow. wow. This is a 91 fan. That's, that's nuts. That's I, amazing. The, the scales are so heavily tipped. <laughs> when was the last time we saw a film with this much variance, Kevin Israel? No, I, that's, I'm, I, this whole situation has me shocked. I'm, I'm a bit kerfluffled. Quotes. Uh, I was very, at first, I was like, there aren't any quotes in this film. Then two jumped out at me and go, ha, good. You look like Mushmouth from Fat Albert. That was, that was good. Again, if you were born before 1993, you have no idea who the hell that is, unless you've heard a song or two about it. And when they're in the, uh, the strip bar, the strip club with all the multi rooms and multi mirrors, what the fuck are you doing? Ha, ha, I'll tip her. I'll tip her. <laughs> Where he's fueling up the dead chick with the tits. I'll tip her. <laughs> That was funny. Kevin Israel, a quote from you. Uh, and shepherds we shall be for thee, my Lord, for thee. Power hath descended from thy hand. That are f- I'm not reading this whole thing. No. <laughs> I was going to say, did you learn all that in altar boy school? Yeah, I was a Jew. <laughs> He's undercover, folks, trying to get diddled by the priest and be the spotlight target. How about you, Mike? Any quotes jump out? My quote is actually a physical action. It's kind of waving my arms like Willem yeah. Dafoe, <laughs> directing the orchestra in my head. Nice. The see. orchestra of violence. Five fun facts. Five fun facts. Five fun facts for you right now. It's time for five fun more facts. Five fun facts for you right now. In 1997, Duffy, I forgot his first name already. Well, there Troy. Was three, Troy, thank you. Was working as a bartender in Los Angeles. At the same time, he was trying to sell a script for the Boondock Saints. The media loved the idea of a local bartender who had written what might be Hollywood's next great film, leading the screenplay to spark a bidding war between major studios. The war ended when Miramax's Harvey Weinstein showed up at Jay Sloan's, the bar where Duffy worked, to offer him a reported $300,000 for the script. And promised to buy the bar for Duffy. Wow. Did he? Well, yeah, we're going to get on that. 
Number two, the movie opened on U.S. screens on January 21st, 2000, but was shown in five theaters in Boston for one week only. The country was still reeling for the massacre at Columbine High School less than a year earlier, and 108 minutes of men were open to killing any person they consider evil. Wasn't the most popular concept with audiences. That's a lie. Columbine was April of my of our senior year. You didn't tell me seven fucking more uh, nine months later that people haven't just kind of calmed yeah. down. Completely forgot about it. Yeah. That's what you call burying the obvious. <laughs> like most artists, Duffy had a very clear vision for the film. This led to, to some contestuous. Yes, contestuous meetings again. With potential collaborators, including getting into an argument with Ewan McGregor over the death penalty during their first meeting, Duffy's volatile personality ended up costing him the deal with Miramax, leading to have him shop the film around to other distributors. So, no, the bar was not bought for him. Now, this guy. Well, don't be a dick. Yeah. Oh, well, Kevin. Kevin, That's the lesson. Yeah. Well, hold on. Fun fact number four. Reportedly, Duffy wouldn't even consider Brad Pitt in any role. And overnight, the documentary, which is about Duffy's life, captures him on a phone call with his casting agent calling Keanu Reeves a punk and Ethan Hawke a talentless fool. At one point. Duffy would throw parties with uh, with party, uh, throw parties and meet with actors like Patrick Swayze, Ewan McGregor, Jeff Goldblum, Mark Wahlberg. And now, of course, the, the actors dropped out for a variety of reasons. Filming conflicted with Wahlberg's role in Boogie Nights. Good reason. Swayze and Goldblum passed and McGregor turned down the role after Duffy showed up to a me- meeting drunk and incoherent. Could you imagine if this movie featured Brad Pitt? And Keanu Reeves. I don't give a fuck if it was Ethan Haw- <laughs> if it was Ethan Hawke and Jeff Goldblum, even the latter of the two of the scales. I guess I guess because this this came out in two thousand, so they had to film this pretty much the same time Phantom Menace was filming, or, or no, because Menace was ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So you McGregor was fresh off Phantom Menace for Christ's sakes. Swayze was on the tail end. Goldblum was Jurassic Park two was ninety seven. So. Still kind of there. Marky Mark was about to take off. Yeah, again. And Keanu Reeves just had the Matrix come out, for Christ's sakes. The fuck? This guy's like Vincent Gallo from Buffalo 66. Do a Google on him, people. You'll appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. You got that one. The Boondocks Boondocks Saints, uh, like I said, secured a theatrical run in five theaters in Boston for one week. After that theatrical run, it seemed as though that would be the end of the film until... Blockbuster got involved. Blockbuster Video took a chance on the Boondock Saints, booking the exclusive rights to the video rentals for the film, banking on the sensational news stories that accompanied Duffy's rag-to-riches tale to get customers interested. Blockbuster made the film available in stores across America. Then through word of mouth and every swinging dick kid in college is for uh, dorm rooms at the poster, the Boondock Saints' popularity grew until it became a bona fide cult hit. Before Blockbuster got involved, the filmmakers had no way of getting their film out. But once it did, the film became their highest grossing release in the first six months. Who else was renting movies besides Blockbuster at the time? But they uh, wanted the exclusive rights. Uh, Hollywood video. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I, thought, I was about to say Sun Hollywood Coast. video. Sun yeah, Coast. I mean, all right. So they had, they had 3% of the market and Blockbuster had 97. Yeah. yeah and the mom and pop places where you could rent <laughs> porn. 
on those commie pinko bastards at Blockbuster. <laughs> but it was always fun to go into Blockbuster and ask them where their porn section was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially some, some kid wearing khakis. We don't rent porn here, sir. Um, we don't have that here, sir. So oh, you're describing my life. Didn't they have like <laughs> didn't they have like toned down versions for some real hardcore R-rated films? Like oh, I yeah. don't I don't remember them. I for some dumb reason, I don't remember them allowing showgirls to be rented there. I think you're right. Yeah, I remember because I worked at Blockbuster for years and you have a face be, that says Blockbuster uh, employee. Yeah. They uh, would have purges, so we would get lists of pull all these titles and either sell them or throw them away. Burn the books. Yeah. So there goes your Toxic Avenger, your... Mm. uh, Toxic Avenger got mixed? Oh, yeah. Boxy? Faces faces of death? Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, these are they I, they went through and they did a whole Herschel Gordon Lewis purge. So color me blood red uh, blood feast. I mean, wizard of gore. They were just all nope. Get rid of them right now. Yeah, I'll you say, can really tell somebody's age by asking them. Have you ever seen someone get eaten by an alligator? They say no. They didn't see faces of death. That's right. Or Lake Placid. <laughs> Somebody really get eaten by an alligator. Right. <laughs> you know what? Ready for this? I never saw faces of death. I I did, but I was very drunk, and I only remember the alligator. Is it worth it? Is it worth the? No. Uh, it's. I mean, it's it's just, it's just random scenes of. I mean, you could find much worse on the internet now. Oh yeah, yeah. Like All at right. the time, seeing people actually die was horrifying. But unfortunately, now I think we're pretty desensitized to it. I don't know how much of that was staged either. The the one thing I remember was some sort of like monkey brain eating scene that wasn't yeah, from. Yeah, that's right. That's Indiana right. Jones. Yeah. Didn't somebody else get shot? I thought somebody. I said, a clip yeah. of somebody getting shot in the head. I seem um, to remember um, there was a bear feeding scene where it's like, oh yeah. look at it, it's so what cute eating fuck? all this bread, and then brr, yeah, it goes. It pulls his arm off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, this 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 whole discussion went south. Anyhow, <laughs> let's go to ask a gutter. Ask a gutter. You gotta ask a gutter. Brandon, Brandon Oglesby, Newark Knight. For Mike, are any of the gunfight scenes in this movie on your list of best movie shootouts? No. I like that answer. Pause. Thank you. Taco shirt, Krill, and our pal. For Mike, if the song Shipping Off to Boston had been written in 1999, how many times do you think it would have been played throughout this film? (laughs) At least five. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Rex Crumb on Boondock. I found out about this movie while drinking on a train between Vienna and Prague, two wonderful cities. Didn't get it then. The documentary Overnight about director Troy, Troy, Troy Duffy, excuse me, is a brilliant look at a guy who was given all the rope to hang himself and did so spectacularly. Mm-hmm. No question. No question. Yeah, Just no Fair. question. That's good. Uh, yeah, I agree. Let's see a lot of, okay. A lot of breakfast club ones in here. We have two. Let's go to the next section. Uh, okay. Bango two, three, three, one. I've never watched watching. Bro- oh, okay. As for boondock, what was worse? The awful Irish accents are Willem Dafoe and drag. I remembered the Willem Dafoe and drag part being half the movie. And then when I rewatched it, I was like, wait a second. Is that so what it, you wanted it to be? Uh, <laughs> no. 
strangely. Because I'm not going to lie. He wasn't that bad. Was he working for you? <laughs> Reminded oh. me a little of Patricia Arquette for some reason. I'm not sure. But yeah, so definitely was, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You mean Patricia Arquette now? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two by Bango. Is there anyone in your life that you jump off a roof with a toilet in hand to save? Well, I mean, Kevin Israel, of course. Obviously. <laughs> I'm I very guess, savable. I guess I don't have that savable face. I'll go fuck myself, Mike. Thanks. Yeah. How many times have you repeated the Coke joke, Mike? Question number three by Bango. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot of words in that um, joke that I am yeah. not a big fan of. It's a pretty good joke, I have to admit. But uh, yeah, uh, so none. Never. He's none. lying. That's a safe word when he goes to S&M clubs. <laughs> that, that joke has been told so many different ways. It would, it, that that was almost the original aristocrats joke. Kevin. I was gonna, I you know what? I couldn't remember the word as aristocrats because I was gonna say it's like. Oh, you? Oh, yeah. so cute. I just couldn't refer. I couldn't. My brain is on a delay. Yeah, that's called kid fog, as we call it. It was very um, American Werewolf in London. Like that joke, I think works better because you don't have to go for you know the N word or anything. I don't remember the. The werewolf in London. I don't either because American oh. Werewolf London was terrible and I've only seen it once and don't plan on seeing it again. What? Oh, I oh, love American Werewolf in yeah, London. Yeah, me too. Really? It has yeah. one of the greatest werewolf transformation scenes. Wait Still a minute. Wait, up. wait, wait. Scott Howard, Teen Wolf, how dare you forget one of the best? <laughs> that that exchange shows you where Kevin Goatee is coming from. Ah, okay. <laughs> this is totally <laughs> nonsensical talk, fellas. I wish you guys had a book on sarcasm translation. <laughs> Continuing on, oh, that's actually the end of all of our Ask a Gutter questions. So it's time to let Mike White come out here and recite a prayer with a rosary bead in hand and speak. Was that, I don't know what they were speaking in, in tongue. Was that Gaelic at times? Gaelic, I missed that? I guess. Yeah. yeah. As a, that's my assumption. I could be wrong. And I'm sure fans will correct us. Kevin Israel, let's have Mike White. Got Got the the sacred cow. That sounded almost exactly beat for beat this time. I I sounded good to me. Sure did here. Go ahead, Mike. Floor is yours. You you don't know how hard this is for me because I'm usually the nice guy and I try not to just lay into things. You know, I don't even cover things that i don't like most sounds of the time. like sounds like mike's a lot of it's not you it's me and that's why i'm breaking up with you ah uh, all right so don't couch it just get to the gutting yeah <laughs> thinking of the subpar post pulp fiction garbage the boondock saints is a masturbatory exercise in style over substance it's the story of two irish brothers who inexplicably become the arbiters of justice among the many mobs of boston directed by the belligerent bad boy Troy Duffy, the filmmaker thought he was going to be the next Cinderella story of a fan of a film fan made Hollywood hotshot until his own inflated ego nearly stopped his career before it started. The film cribs blatantly from Quentin Tarantino's playbook, which makes it a copy of a copy of a copy already. We've got a fractured timeline, quirky characters, a little prayer before dispatching bad guys, bad jokes, and a liberal amount of the word fuck. Granted, this was the era of Tarantino clones, some good, some awful. This scale tips towards the latter. 
When it comes to Tarantino's films, his weakest link is always his own ham-fisted performances. In the case of the Boondock Saints, a lot of blame can be laid at the feet of David Delarocco, who had his role written for him. Sorry, who had his role written with him in mind. If there's anything nice I can say about the film, it's that Willem Dafoe gives a great performance as the FBI agent, a self-hating gay man on the trail of the Irish brothers and their friend Rocco. Though the film goes... Though as the film goes on, he becomes increasingly unhinged to the point where he becomes a cartoon character. While I may dream about Willem Dafoe and drag, I don't need to see it in a movie. Running at 108 minutes, the film starts dragging just when it should become more exciting. There is far too long of a hiatus after Billy Connolly, who is supposed to be the ultimate badass, joins the fray. The film ends with a whimper rather than a bang, which is not unexpected with all the bullshit macho posturing that riddles the film. The most entertaining thing about the film is the documentary made about Duffy overnight, where you can witness the downfall of the Enfant Terrible as he loses the support of all those around him, burning bridges before he even crosses them. 23 years later, the film is something of a time capsule with time capsule. Hold on one second, Mike. Mike, Hold on one second, Mike. You're not reading it. You're not reading an essay to us, are you? This is the last paragraph. Okay. 23 years later, the film is something of a time capsule which captures that sideways gun black trench coat perception of cool that came from Chow Yun-Fat and got watered down to a generation of frat boys and high school dropouts who still snigger at saying the F word. No uh, racial service, please, in your uh, essay. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, Mike, how many times people have told you you look like Brian Hussein, but not a ginger? Um, this might be the first. Israel, do you see this or no? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. And by uh, the way, this this is your face, Mike. It just didn't it didn't translate very. I well. like it. That's that's great. <laughs> but a, a, a a late breaking a late breaking ask a gutter. David, the producer, just timed in our pal. Oh, David, there we the go. He said, "Boondock Saints." Troy Duffy, who directed it, invited me to Easter ten years ago with Ron Jeremy. To, with Ron Jeremy, true story. Wow. Mike, is that all? That's it. Oh, my God. You talk about a drive through fucking therapy session there. That's fast. Oh, Mike, give me a number one to ten of your opinion of this film. Oh, two. <laughs> That's hatred, Kevin Israel. That's hatred. You want to go for it? I tell you what, right. I'm, I'm feeling uh, magnanimous yet again. You want to take this one first or shall you go first for the next one? Sure. I th- I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I think mine's going to be pretty quick. Okay. In 1999, I was wearing Jinko Jinko jeans, a tight black shiny T-shirt, and big metal beaded necklace. No, I was going to say the necklace has to be a part of it. You had to have, I had (laughs) almost the kind of puka shell one, but the same exact uniform though. And I had a very, very short Caesar haircut. And I thought I was awesome. I remember thinking, I'll never look better than this. This is a timeless look that will endure throughout the years. How could this ever possibly be bad? The reason I bring it up is because this movie is the v- movie version of that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, it seemed fantastic. How could anybody possibly have a problem with this movie? And then I didn't see it for about 30 years. <laughs> and I watched it again last night, two nights ago. And wow. I've said this a lot before in this podcast. There was an interesting idea for a movie somewhere in here. Mm. 
And there were interesting ideas for characters. And it, it wasn't the most original. Would it have been the most original movie? No. But it could have been a compelling movie if there was any actual attempt at storytelling. And yes, this absolutely is a Tarantino clone. But here's the thing about Tarantino. He actually tells a story even when he uses the jacked up timelines. This movie had the jacked up timeline. And by the third time, you're like, all right, we get it. They're going to stop the scene. They're going to go to the cop. And then they're going to go back to figure out what happened with like it, it, it got repetitive and, and almost and almost boring. Just just wanted to see the movie come through. Go go straight through. The other the problem, the big problem I had with this movie is, again, the storytelling. Out of nowhere, these two guys who apparently speak 20 different languages suddenly just become martial artists, gun artists, badasses. They give they give no explanation about where they got this training from, these abilities or just anything. And I'm all for the the the. The, the no the nondescript badass like in desperado the guy who just shows up and you're like oh well he's a badass but there was none of that here there was just the, there was two brothers who worked a meatpacking plant and suddenly they were just gunning badasses and it was it, it comes out of absolutely nowhere the irish accents are painful almost as painful as the boston accents <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker <laughs> they should this movie should have called Goodwill No Hunting because <laughs> this was nobody liked them apples. It was just such a painful, painful set of dialogue to listen to. It felt it, it really felt like my buddies and I used to make movies with like a camcorder in high school and they were terrible. And I wish I still had the videotapes because it would be hysterical to watch. But I feel like they were probably on par with the dialogue in 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 this movie it was just it was just so bad and the whole and the whole i mean the the setup of the movie is pretty basic you know these guys decide that they're just going to start killing bad guys and they get and they you know they they kind of start getting in over their head but the problem is they never really do end up in over their head and even when their best friend gets shot and dies you don't really feel bad about it like there doesn't feel like there's any price on this there's there's no there's there's no cost to any of this and then the biggest problem i had is the whole situation with the father. He comes out of nowhere. Yeah. They had no idea that this is what their father was doing. They had no idea. And when they showed up, when they had the gunfight back and forth in the street, nobody looked and said, that's dad. And dad didn't look and go, those are my two sons. Like, the there was no, I was the uncle or the, uh, didn't they call him dad? Yes. Maybe. They did. did they? Okay. Yeah. At the end, they I, go, because fin- they finished wow. the prayer. He finished the prayer that they did. Right. Yeah, it's it's their father. And I think prayer. in the sequel, because I think I saw some of the sequel, and I think you, it further establishes that it's that that was the father. Wow. Totally but that comes sad. out of nowhere. And it's supposed to almost feel like a twist, but it wasn't a twist at all, because you never saw this guy until that led to that one gun battle scene. And then suddenly he's their dad and they're on the same side. And it's like, how does everybody make these turns? Even William Defoe's sudden turn from, you know, hunting these guys down to working with them to basically being their source came out of nowhere there were a lot of cool ideas and that, and that and um the movie the accountant did that better where you found out that oh this this like psycho hitman was actually working with the fbi and the fbi was feeding him the information of about you know what he needed to do it, it, there were so there were so many glimmers of what could have been an interesting movie in this 
and it missed all of them spectacularly. It's almost a great movie to see how bad a movie can be with so much potential. And I got to say, I still do really love Peacoats, and these guys pulled it off. They did, <laughs> they did establish a look in this movie. The one thing about this movie that I can say I really did enjoy was seeing how everybody was dressed, because I was like, that's exactly how I was dressed. The cop was wearing, in the beginning, the, the, the cop, the idiot, was wearing this oversized black leather jacket, mm-hmm. and I was like, every guy had that black leather jacket in 1997 through 2000. And we thought it was the coolest looking thing. And it looked terrible. We all looked like douchebags. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to go one further. Everyone thought that they were in the Matrix after that. Yes, as I yeah. came out. And my hand is raised. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we, with, we were with all the, we, with we, the we glasses. Were all, we were all victim to it. Yeah. You know, you know. But this is unfortunately a bad movie. And I forgot. And again, I haven't seen this movie since I saw it. I did see this in the theater. Uh, you know, I saw it like everybody else, just by word of mouth, probably rented it at a blockbuster because that was the campaign. But when, when Kev told me that you chose it, I was like, Oh, I, you know, I remember liking that, that movie. I remember this scene that the poster that everybody had. And, you know, I, this will be a fun watch. And then halfway through, I was like, wow, this is really a terrible movie. It almost feels like a bad SNL skit. Like it almost, it feels like satire. To the, it's it, it's such a bad movie right. and it's really a shame because i do remember it more fondly much like i remember those jinko jeans and <laughs> metal beaded necklace which was also awful so yeah i'll leave it at that this movie is just bad for nostalgia's sake i'll give it a three you know it's not bad, Kevin Israel? athletic greens no it is not our favorite morning drink we have 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. You take it with, with a cold glass of water in the morning. I take it with a cold glass of water in the morning. Uh, I got my wife trying it now, too. She says it's pretty damn good. And it's, again, we're big on a gut health here, helping you sleep. All that. I'm going to take some with me when I travel. As a matter of fact, when I go to the Cayman Islands in a few weeks, and for a bachelor party, because I'll be needing, needing to cleaning out that gut like nobody's business. Kevin, did you know that this is a lifestyle-friendly supplement? No uh, less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, keto, paleo-friendly. It's all that. What is your favorite thing about Athletic Greens? I like the flavor. I like that I'm not terrified to drink it in the morning because when you start off the day with something, and if it tastes terrible, you're probably not going to want to take it. It tastes good. It's easy to drink. And most importantly, it works. It wakes me up. It makes me feel alert, aware. And I have a sensitive tummy. And this definitely helps with some of my digestive issues. So this supplement to me is a win-win-win. Mike, what do you think something like this costs for a daily basis? Oh, boy. Dollar a day? Two dollars a day? Less than three dollars a day. So you're right times two. That's amazing. That is some insight. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. That's what I think the most important thing about this is. And look, it's also cheaper than a coffee, right? Because Starbucks charges you a second mortgage for that nonsense. And of course, Athletic Greens is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's the one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Now, for all of our listeners, all, I don't know, a bunch of you, I want you to go to athleticgreens.com slash GTSC because they're going to give you with your order one free year supply of immune supporting vitamin D because As we tape this in January, there's not much sunlight outside now, is there? So here's a great way to get more vitamin D. And you're going to get also five free travel packs. 
with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash GTSC, athleticgreens.com slash GTSC. Notes. Oh, how cute. In the beginning, they're beating each other's meat. Oh, this is full of allegories, is it not? You guys have beat this already to a pulp, but the film is jumping off, reminding me why I hate uh, Irish music so much. At least shipping up to Boston has not been written yet at this point in time. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever seen Willem Dafoe, Thomas Hayden Church, and Dennis Leary all in the same place? I haven't, mm. and I have questions. Mm. The music during the action scenes is overbearing and unwarranted. It's like someone said, let me put in a generic rock bed that sounds something close to Godsmack in every time there is a fight scene. Go to any club in Hoboken in 1998, and that's exactly what it sounded like. <laughs> was that Whiskey <laughs> Cafe? Part yes. three. Ah. Was that we, Duffy's we, band during yeah. that part? Yeah, probably. Oh, boy. The cops at the murder scene were some of the worst actors I have seen since Ron Jeremy. And speaking of Ron Jeremy, I didn't recognize him almost without his greasy dick in a 17-year-old meth-dep runaway from Nebraska. <laughs> Jumping down four stories, shouldn't his knees be puncturing his stomach right now? No? Oh, sounds like this film is going to ask the impossible from the audience. These secondary characters are worse than having a diarrhea attack in a dive bar with a filthy toilet and a single-ply toilet paper. (laughs) Willem Dafoe's character is beyond cartoonish and insanely over-the-top. In fact, he's more over-the-top than Stallone was in... Over the top. Like a switch. (laughs) Willem Dafoe must have been an absolute joy to be in theater class with, right? All right, William. Willem, we get it. You're a method. Turn it off. You're just going to the bathroom. You don't need to do a fucking song (laughs) while getting the key to take a piss. Did you see he did SNL this weekend? Did you see any of the skits? He overacts in every single one it's it's amazing (laughs) i haven't watched snl in years because it's just not funny 35 minutes in and this puppy is dragging like an amputee with cerebral palsy this film has amateurish polish all over it it's just got that stink of direct to fucking it makes canon films look like fucking paramount classics Oh, and now we go to black and white scenes. This film is like a film student who is finally getting more than a thousand dollar budget to do his own film. This wanted to be Tarantino or Guy Ritchie in the worst way, but it ended up looking more like Nicole Ritchie or Lionel Ritchie by my taste. It's bad enough that I have to translate Irish accents. And now to really insult me, they have to talk with food in their mouth with that horrible Irish accent. (laughs) They they might as well scrape their teeth on their fork while eating to complete the trifecta of things that send me up the fucking ceiling. Why does everyone love this film? The idea of religious hitmen? It sure isn't because of the characters, plot, or performances, because all these fucking stink. <laughs> this movie is like the homecoming king or queen you see at the high school reunion. 35 pounds later, and that varsity jacket doesn't fit so well, does it? A little bit tight. <laughs> Is Defoe, by the way, 
This is this week's That Doesn't Happen, Kevin Israel. No one, no one, no one talks that loudly in public about being in the mob. That <laughs> doesn't happen. Not even in Goodfellas. They called it that thing of ours, or just, just people in a, in a little conversation hunkered over. Is Defoe trying to recreate his death scene from Platoon? Yuck. I picked that one up too, yeah. Willem Dafoe better have a huge insurance policy because he's a perfect candidate for a pulmonary embolism at any time of day. This film can be explained in this exact timeline. Hitmen kill, loud music. Willem Dafoe overacts. Irish guys scream at their Italian friend, more killing, more loud music. Dafoe with more classical music and more overacting. Wash, rinse, repeat. I don't know about you guys. I don't think this is the first time this was Willem Dafoe in women's clothes for a role or a non-film role. Yeah. Very comfortable in women's clothes. Yes, yeah, he, very, he pulled very, it off. Yeah. Very natural. I bet Billy Connolly has an overwhelming musk about him. He probably has a stinky belly button is my point. I saw this film when it came out on DVD right when it came out, and I remember liking it. After a recent rewatch, this is fucking terrible. I didn't like the main characters and shit. Even Willem Dafoe annoyed me, and I love him in damn near everything he is in. The acting was beyond pedestrian. The story was elementary, and I could give two fucks about the characters who are supposed to be some super-duper, you know, ironic or even, or, you know, some kind of original idea, religious hitman. Ah, no. They tried to make this too Tar- Tarantino-ish. Defoe's character had a world of possibilities. And what's he known for? A self-hating homosexual who loves investigate scenes while sporting a Sony Discman. Not exactly moving mountains here, people. Boring, unmemorable, and I will never watch this again. Two and a half out of ten. <sighs> Bing, okay. bang, boom. How many times has this happened in this podcast? The guests are starting to feel us out. Although I am shocked that this sucked because I remember like you. I like, so so was I. Yeah. I was worried. I was worried. <laughs> critics, five star reviews. Critics, five star reviews, critics, five star reviews, critics, five star reviews, critics, five star reviews. An enthralling gangster epic, a solid action film, and a jolting vigilante justice crime cape. Mm-hmm. What did that mean? I don't know. The Boondock Saints on one level is really a great-to-direct-to-video cult film. Stylish, defiantly endearing, and borderline iconic. Where was it stylish? Please. Have there already been any great direct-to-video movies? I mean, other than other than the stuff we dealt with during the pandemic that had to go. Yeah. Like, I have to think, but man, I... Ugh. I think Red Rock West was probably one of them. I don't even know that movie. I don't even know uh, either. That's really good. It's... Uh, Man, talk about a cast. Nick Cage, Dennis Hopper, Say no more. Boyle. <laughs> it was directed by John Dahl. It was fantastic. They, it was so good that they actually brought it out theatrically. After, I think What's the possibly name of uh, Red Rock West. Yeah. Same. Same guy that did The Last Seduction. Oh, with Linda Fiorentino. Yeah. Willem Dafoe's, by the way, she was Beverly D'Angelo without the tits and a brunette. <laughs> Lispy short got it never mind 
although one of them fucked Al Pacino. Willem Dafoe's portrayal of the conflicted homosexual FBI agent is overacted to such an extent that it is hilarious, amazing, and entertaining. His is an unforgettable character. Oh, yeah? Watch. Next. I just looked up Red Rock West, and it started with one of my most hated phrases when describing a movie: a neo noir thriller oh. film. <laughs> I don't want to hear the for neo noir. I, I don't want to hear the word neo unless we're talking about The Matrix One <laughs> or neo Nazis in American History X. It's only other neos I can think of. If you can't sit back and enjoy an entertaining popcorn flick like The Boondock Saints then you'll probably never under, understand the difference between movies and real life. <laughs> wow. What a dick bag. <laughs> while I don't think the flink, the, I, while I don't think the flick really has much of a brain in its head, it sure isn't boring. Oh, yes, it is. Critics, one star reviews. Critics, one star reviews. Critics, one star reviews. <laughs> A ridiculous self important amalgamation of rehashed macho posturing and slow motion bloodletting. Do yourself a favor. Do not attend a convocation with these saints. Oh, someone is throwing a little oh, religious term. He was, was, he was like, as he was typing it, he's like, <laughs> You this know, is a good one. If I was a douchebag blowhard critic, I go, I, my one star review would say, guess what? You're not going to see any white smoke when these saints are voted on or canonized. Oh, oh. yeah. From this cast, you'd expect better. Really? Is this cast all that dynamic besides Defoe? My answer I mean, is an emphatic Nor- no. Norman Reedus went on to be very famous with Walking Dead. Right. All 23 right. fucking years later. Not at the yeah. time. No one's looking for Norman Reedus. No. From this cast, you'd expect better, but it's mostly just a redundant Tarantino wannabe. It's one thing to make a film that's violent and profane. It's another to make one that's, that's a moral black hole and do it because black looks cool. Uh, black looked very cool in the late 90s. I am right. It's it. Kevin Israel and I. Tell uh, my sketcher boots that black wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going right down memory lane going, yes. you know, let's go to Hot Topic and pick up a new shirt. <laughs> Structure. <That's it. laughs> I think I, I think Chess King was past its prime. Chess Arrow- King, no. I, oh, we, boy. Oh, I could tell you some stories about Chess King. <laughs> maybe maybe this time hit up Aeropostel. Yeah, there you go. Oh, well, boy. it was still cool. <laughs> you know, Abercrombie is still doing well in Florida. I thought that died out like the dodo by now. Wow. Teens love it. Yeah, and so do child rapists. Next, oh boy, an embarrassing waste of time and nothing even resembling the guiltiest of guilty pleasures. Now that I agree. Duffy's models are clearly snarky, ultraviolent Tarantino-esque crime pictures, but this movie's cleverness is not quite on par with its bloodlust. There was no cleverness in this movie. I would love to look up bloodlust and see if there's a second definition. Bloodlust, a man who eats a woman's puss out while she's on the period. Bloodlust, noun. Okay. We call that running the red light or the Detroit Red Wings are playing a home game. There you go. Amazon five-star review. 
Amazon five star reviews. This, this podcast is devolved into period talk now. <laughs> if you have not yet seen this cult classic movie, you need to stop reading this review and start watching it now. It is the greatest movie of all time. Every single wow. person has thought about making the world a better place by killing evil people. Plus, the acting is wonderful. The plot is fantastic. The characters are deep. Don't just stand by like Kitty Genovese's neighbors. Wow. Jesus, neighbors. <laughs> wow. From the first second, literally, the action was on. I couldn't figure out what was happening at first, but it, it all became clear. Action-packed, unexpected twists, symbolism, ethic struggles, manic emotions, incredibly powerful bond of brotherhood, a holy war against evil. Words are tame after the emotionally charged atmosphere of the movie. The caliber of the movie I must watch more of to catch the nuances I missed the first time. Defoe mastered his character. The two saints as well. Superb. Where is their nuance? Are they do just they, trying, are they trying to do the Ezekiel twenty five seventeen thing and call that nuance? Yeah, yeah. If you could tell me anything about the two brothers and how they're different from one another, yeah. <laughs> I would love to know it. Other than the color of their hair. You like dogs? I like dogs. You like dogs? I like dogs, too. Dags. Dags. This movie is funny, dark, gritty, but so fun to watch. I only wish the sequel was good. Many today who are not used to R-rated movies might think it's a bit much. But if you were born before the year 1995 when R-rated movies were normal, you'll probably see this more as a tame rated R movie. You're turning purple, Mike. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> Many today. Don't understand our rated movies. Yeah. <laughs> what an what an underappreciated film by critics in a manner that not only tells a compelling tale, but knows when to do so both seriously and lightheartedly. This movie is a perfect balance of tongue in cheek commentary on the genre while still being a, still being a vital addition to the very same genre it pokes fun at. What a fantastic performance by the leads Flannery and Reedus, whose on-screen chemistry made me really believe they could be brothers. Willem Dafoe was also amazing. The narrative and styling and editing choices of this film are beautifully done. And how the narrative style reflects the plot and implied realizations of characters is truly brilliant. What a fantastic movie. I wish I bought it instead of rented it, but I honestly wouldn't mind paying it to watch it again. And as a broke college student, it's got to mean something. So how many ramen noodle packages is this film worth, guys? I say half of one, <laughs> which is about five cents. Yeah. Amazon. I guess it's out of print now, the one with the uh, audio commentary. Boy, I would have loved to have heard that audio commentary. Oh, my God. See, this is the part where that overrated piece of shit Keanu Reeves said he had a problem with the script. <laughs> Amazon, one star reviews. Two good old boys frolic and romp being badasses, in quotes, in their own minds as the obsequious police precinct bows in awe at their murders. Irish-centric cliches abound in the Irish-exclusive neighborhood who are also badasses, in quotes, in their own minds. Better be Catholic and Irish if you venture onto their turf. Laughable main characters more than a joke than anything else, let alone actors. Overworked attempt at a meme done far better and far earlier in cinema to call itself a cult classic is disingenuous. Signed, Bono. Jesus, just say the movie sucked. (laughs) 
Everyone just went to Oxford to get their master's in English lit to write a fucking review for Amazon. Very disappointing. I kept watching because of Norman Reedus. Really? Him? He's the draw? There's a low bar these days, boys, and I don't want to be part of this world much longer. I thought at some point it would get interesting. A great theme, vigilantes killing mob bosses, Russian and Italian. However, there was so much profanity, it was just vulgar. Willem Dafoe played the part of the mincing, prancing homosexual, something I have no desire to watch. Just vulgar and insulting to our intelligence. Signed, The Ghost of Freddie Mercury. (laughs) Hmm. From the first 10 minutes, this movie is nothing but nauseatingly nauseatingly superficial Irish stereotypes unintentionally contrasted with events that just wouldn't happen. You just can't walk up to an altar during a homily. Whoever wrote this clearly never went to church. And next on Mythbusters, walking to the altar during mass, debunked or not. (laughs) Wait till they see The Departed. If they thought this was one big cliche (laughs) pile of jambalaya. What the fuck is that? The movie was beyond boring and unbelievable. I stopped watching after the second murder scene. Foul language and violence don't bother me in movies. Bad acting, paper-thin plots, and completely unrealistic storytelling does. This is a hard pass. And now, the Kevin Israel favorite, blowhard asshole. A quintessence of complete tastelessness. Two words, one of them being a singular A. A quintessence of complete tastelessness for a simple brain. Nothing more. Was this a Dr. Seuss quote or an Edgar Allan Poe quote? Ooh. No one? You, you're right. You had a right between the teeth. People sit back, they write these, and they push their chair back with both palms yeah. to go crack their knuckles above their arm, going, ah, nailed it. <laughs> Kevin Israel, did Mike White gut the sacred cow? Yes, he did. But Mike, before you pull a muscle patting yourself on the back, okay, this wasn't a tough one. No. No. <laughs> no. But you know what? To your credit, a good gutter knows the movie to pick, and you pick the good one. <laughs> Un- unbeknownst, though. Unbeknownst. Because <laughs> I, was, I was like, eh, this is kind of good, right? Yeah, yeah. This, this cow got a rotten blood transfusion filled with AIDS and every other communicable disease imaginable. And all it took was just an exposure to the common cold for this cow to collapse under its own weight. Yes, Mike, you did cut the sacred cow. But as Kevin aptly pointed out, it didn't take much because <laughs> this film blows. But Mike, thank you for letting me relive yes. my 1999 wardrobe. I appreciate it. <laughs> Kevin's going to go dust it out and find a place that serves dollar fifty mural lights now on Thursday right. nights. <laughs> uh, where are the shot girls at? Yeah, oh. <laughs> I got a, that. That was like bragging your buddies, like, dude, brought a shot girl home last night. Yeah. Yeah. That was that. That was king shit for the week. If you got, you got that. those syringe shots, I want some syringe shots. <laughs> Would you guys? Were- do you guys want some kamikazes? <laughs> Fuck yeah! I'll buy the whole I'll, I'll buy the whole test tube tray. Stuff. All that, all that with, yeah. the, with the little foil on top. You know they. I got paid that. today. We're going drinking. <laughs> Jaeger bombs. Jaeger bombs. <laughs> Not now, chief. I'm in the zone. <laughs> we could do this all day, but we yeah. can't. Mike White, my wheelhouse. <laughs> where can where can we find you? What are you up to? 
Well, I, I, what keeps me out of the bars is the Projection Booth Podcast. Uh, so I do that every week over at projectionboothpodcast.com. We talk about different movies, trying not to pick stuff that I despise. So I think the closest we ever got was a, uh, a two-parter on The Last Action Hero. Love that film. Oh, boy. Love it. Still holds up beautifully. You don't so, like it, I can tell. <laughs> not a big fan. Not a big All right, fan. And well, we, listen, I'll come on. I'll defend that fucker. You watch. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was that was a very contentious discussion. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's what I'm up to. And uh, after we're done with this, I'm going to be recording an episode of uh, the new podcast I'm working on called The Shabby Detective, where we talk about Lieutenant Columbo. So, oh. yeah, a little bit of both. little TV, little movies. Excuse me. You know. Mike, I don't know that many. I don't know many old people that listen to podcasts. I hope you uh, have a direct pipeline in some nursing home or community at least that's over sixty-five. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All my mom's friends love me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you post this on the Facebook to promote it and on the oh, on the uh, the intranets? All about the LinkedIn. Oh my! There God. you go. There you go. <laughs> Here's a p- post your most recent link to classmates.com. Kevin Israel, <laughs> where can we find you? KevinIsrael.com for all my upcoming comedy dates. And I don't know if I've ever said this before, but this is going to be something different. Could you guys please leave us a five-star rating and a quick few-sentence review on your podcast platform of choice? Because, God damn it, it makes us happy every single week to see those stellar reviews come in. It makes us feel special. It confirms what we already know, that we have an awesome podcast. But we like to hear it because we just have big egos like that. So please, continue to inflate them. And get on the podcast platform of choice and leave us that five-star rating and two-sentence review because it helps us. And if it helps us, it helps you. Quintessence of tastelessness. Ain't that right? The quintessence. (laughs) The quintessence. KevinGoatee.com, NFL season's almost over. The Super Bowl is going to, uh, by the time you hear this, the Super Bowl would have happened. I had the Bengals plus four and a half already. Let's hope that hits. KevinGoatee.com for other nonsense shenanigans. While you're at it, while you're after you're done writing that five-star review and uh, two or three-sentence uh, review, excuse me, why not head over to YouTube and smash that that subscribe button for us? That also helps. Big fan of the, uh, the subscribing on YouTube. And, of course, GTSC Podcast on Twitter, guttingthesacredcow at gmail.com if you want to advertise with us like Athletic Greens is. Mike White, it's been a hell of a journey today, friends. Oh, before I let you go, I one question. What did you think of that last Blockbuster documentary? Doc, documentary because you were, uh, you were part of that family. I'm afraid it's going to open up uh, too many wounds. I haven't watched it yet. So do you recommend <laughs> it? No, I sure don't. It's very boring. Who gives a oh, fuck? Okay. They bring Doug Benson in, they wax poetic, and no one fucking cares. Oh, Jesus. Sounds yeah. like an I love the 90s episode. Uh, that's a very good assertion of that. I, uh, I don't see a problem with that. That's it, guys. Getting the sacred cow. We thank you, and we'll see you later. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.